Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. My name is Nick Smith and I'm part of the leadership team of Champions Church Skipton. I hope and pray you will enjoy, be inspired and challenged as you hear what God has to say to you today. Fantastic. Well, welcome. Uh, well, let me have my own welcome, shall I say. It's great to be with you all this morning. Um, so I'm going to pray uh, and then we'll kick off. Yes, yeah, so Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for this great day. Thank you that we can be together. We can be together wherever, wherever we're sat, uh, wherever, wherever we're sat in lounges, kitchens, gardens, uh, wherever we are, whoever we're sat with, we are together as one family. Wherever country we're in, we're together as one family. Father, thank you. Uh, that through your technology, through this technology, we can spend time in your presence. We can spend time with our family. We can spend time hearing your word, Father. We just pray uh, that yeah, you will go before uh, me now, that your spirit will go before me now and, and open hearts and minds for what you have given me. Amen. Fantastic. So when I was about 17, uh, I'm not always great on exact dates, but when I was about 17, uh, I was given the privilege to go out to Romania uh, to a small town called Rimnica Vilce. I don't know how to spell it, but you don't need to know that. Um, but yeah, a small town there where as a church youth group, so we were a youth group of maybe 20, uh, 30 people, uh, we had been paying the salary of a church pastor out in Romania. So it was an awesome experience. It was an awesome experience for a number of reasons, partly because uh, for me, it probably gave me my first real experience of um, uh, selfless generosity. You know, as a as a family, we couldn't afford me to go out to Romania and to, to go on this trip. Um, but somebody who to this day remains anonymous, although I have my suspicions, uh, just paid for my ticket to go to Romania, uh, which was fantastic. You know, we, we, we saw a different culture. We saw a different church. We saw a church that was uh, that was growing in kind of really strange conditions in Romania in those days, kind of post-communism and all that kind of stuff. Um, before we went, though, our kind of youth pastor took us to one side and said, um, part of the culture of the church there is to give uh, a verse to people when you meet them. Now, this was kind of a, a bit of a strange concept, concept for me as a 17-year-old lad. Um, and I don't really think I had a go-to Bible verse, shall we say. So I kind of, as you do, skimmed through some page of the Bible. And the, the kind of, on scanning, the verse that I kind of almost was led to, I, fe- I fell on, was Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I liked it. Now, I don't think I theologically looked into the detail of it. I just thought it sounded pretty cool. And uh, I used that as my verse to give to people in Romania. Uh, But since then, it's always been quite a special verse to me. I think back in those days, I like to imagine it uh, kind of like one of those movies. You'll You'll have seen these movies before where the slightly wimpy kid has got himself into a bit of trouble. Maybe he's walking down an alleyway. Maybe there are some ruffians, some kind of gang of kids who stopped him and they're going to beat him up. And it, it, with almost with, with fear, the wimpy kid puts his hands up to kind of fight. And when he opens his eyes, everyone's scarpering. You can almost imagine the bin lid spinning slowly with the speed that people have left. And as he's dusting himself off kind of smugly, the camera pans out. And there behind him in the alleyway is God, stood with his arms folded, just kind of maybe rolling his eyes a little bit at the confidence of this, of this lad. 
but God has got his back. And that's kind of how I saw this verse. With God, if God is for us, who can be against us? Anyway, as a slight step into the craziness of my mind. Since then, it's always been a special verse for me. Um, but it's when you read the verse around it, it's, when, it's then that you come to understand the confidence in this statement. But I always think it's good to read a good chunk of scripture. Uh, and it certainly takes a few minutes of my time. So I'm going to read you the whole of Romans 8. So uh, pick up your Bibles, switch on your Bibles, whatever your preferred choice of Bible this morning. And let's read together Romans 8. I'll give you a second. You with me? I can't see you shuffling your books now, but there you go. Here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in simple man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the simple nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the simple nature have their mind set on what that nature desires, but those that live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind of simple man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The simple mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful, um, sorry, those controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Praise God. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God. And co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he has already has? 
But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches for our our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Come on. A big chunk of scripture, but I'm sure you will agree it is worth reading all the way through. It's an incredible chapter. In fact, I could probably preach a series on those 39 verses. I want to focus on verse 28 uh, to the end, but I can't just skip over all of that. Besides, I figured, where have you got to go today? No, only kidding. But just to bring out a couple of verses at the start. Romans 8, verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Again, rather, the Spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship. What powerful words. If we live according to the Spirit, we are not just given freedom. If we are led by the Spirit, we are fully adopted into his kingdom. We are children of God. Elevated, not just given eternal life, but sonship. We no longer, uh, no longer need to live as slaves to fear. Like that incredible worship song reminds us, we are children of God. We, you and me, if we give our life to God and live by the Spirit, we are raised up to be his children. That is awesome. What powerful verses. And we'll come back to that a bit later on. If we move on to verse 18. I consider that our present present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, 
not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Another incredible bit of scripture. One that in the current season we are all experiencing could easily have been the focus on my message. What we are going through can be pretty overwhelming. As we've talked about previously, we are living in a world of uncertainty, anxiety and fear. But these guys had a lot going on too. This was a letter to the early church in Rome. They would have faced persecution and fear. People died just for professing their faith. Yet these verses remind them that this, all this is nothing compared to the hope we have in our future. In the future set out before us by God. The glory that will be revealed to us. We have that incredible truth as Christians of our future. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Praise God. For us as Christians, what we are going through in this world is temporary. But we will receive an eternal glory that far outweighs it all. Great verses to think upon in this season. Where is our hope? But as I said at the start, I wanted to focus at the end of the chapter. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? As you read it, read it you realise that this is a statement of truth and confidence. It's not an isolated verse, it's a response. Something has just been said that leads to this statement. And it's important to understand the verses beforehand, to understand the power of this verse. To go off point a little bit, I think that's really important. We often pick verses out, don't we? We often choose the kind of the ones that go on the postcards. But it's so important that you read around the passage you're studying. You to ask the question, why? What else has been said? Right, back on track. My first point. How can we have this confidence? Just to reread verse 28 and onwards. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's one of those passages you have to read and reread a few times for it to sink in. But you need to get what this means to understand the confidence in the truth of God's promise. Okay, so follow me. Those God foreknew, he also predestined. You okay? Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Right? Those he justified, he also glorified. Sounds good. Is everyone clear? What I'll do is I'll break it down. You know me, you've, you've, maybe you've heard me preach before. I like to make things simple. So I'll break it down. So the term for new 
means he had knowledge about before the event. He knew us before we were born. The term predestined comes from the Greek word proorizo. I really apologise for pronunciation. Proorizo, which means to determine before. If you break it down, horizo means to mark out, specify or declare. The word called can have a number of meanings, but often in the Bible is to be appointed or designated a duty or office, called for a purpose. Justified, to be justified, is to be declared or made righteous in the sight of God, freed from our sin, the bad things we've done. And finally, to be glorified, to be represented as or to appear elevated, made special, to be made glorious. Amen. So if you've never picked it up, or in my case, switched it on, the Amplified Bible is worth reading. It can really bring a passage to life. I'm going to read those verses again from the Amplified Bible. And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose, for those whom he foreknew and loved and chose beforehand. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, and ultimately share in his complete sanctification, so that he would be the firstborn, the most beloved and honoured among many believers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, that is declared free of the guilt of sin. And those whom he justified, he also glorified, raising them to a heavenly dignity. That's awesome, isn't it? I'm going to give it one more time, but this time, Uh, as sometimes I like to say in the gospel, according to Nick, I like to make things a bit more simple. For all of us, God knew. He knew us before we were born. He marked us out, designated us to be made in his image. He appointed us and gave us purpose in his plan. He freed us from our sin through his love, whatever we have done, and elevated us to the highest place in heaven with him. God knew us. He chose us. He gave us purpose. He created us in his image. He saved us through his son. He elevated us to be with him. Wow. With that truth behind us, our response is to discern and say, who could question or challenge that? That is what it means for God to be for us. Who could be against us? I like again how the Amplified Bible puts it. Not that people won't try. Not that things won't go against us, but if we put our trust in that truth, no one or thing can succeed in their attempts against us. Because of God's great and awesome love for us. Amen. But how does God show his love for us? That leads me on to my second point. What is this great love? Reread verses 31 to 34. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Everything comes back to this. He 
who did not spare his son. God loved us so much that he gave his son for us. It says in those incredible words in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I think I can get that verse into every message I bring. In fact, I'm going to try. You cannot hear that verse too many times. You cannot have been a Christian too long to not be amazed by its meaning. If you hear that verse, a Christian, and it just bounces off, I challenge you to read and reread it and spend time thinking about it. It is God's love for you and me. If you've not made that step and given your life to God, then this is the most important verse you will ever hear. Something we've celebrated just recently at Easter, what God did for us. God loved us all so much. He gave his one and only son to die so that you and me can live, live lives to the full, died in our place to take away all things we have done wrong. It says that the wage of sin, the cost of what we've done wrong, is eternity without God, it's death. But whatever we've done in our lives, whatever we have thought or put first in our lives, Jesus died for us to make us right with God. You are not alone. You have not done things so bad, this doesn't count for you. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, whoever they think they are, me, you, all who are watching have done things wrong. We all fall short of God's incredible glory. But don't worry, because it says in the very next verse, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All of us are made right with God. We are freed from the bad things we've done because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus died in our place. Not only that, but God raised him from the dead, raised so that we might live, so that we, can, we no longer need to fear death because God has defeated death and in doing so has given us a gift of eternal life, eternal life with him. That is love in its fullness. That is God's great love for us, a love so great for his children. Again, you and me, that he created a way back to him. He loves us and wants to be in relationship with us. It says in James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But it goes further than that. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God gave us the ultimate gift. He gave us his son up for us if we if he can give sorry if he can go that far isn't it reasonable to understand that God can give us so much more in grace that is not that we deserve anything but that God gives to us through grace it says in Matthew 7 verse 7 ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That is God's love for us. But we have to ask. We have to come to him. 
Finally, not only did Jesus die for us, but he sits at God's right hand. He intercedes for us. That is, he steps in. He talks on our behalf. That is the truth of the love of the God that is for us. I want to stop there and ask a question. A question we ask a lot in Skipton, and that is, do you know him? I can speak about God's love for us and what he did for us when we did not, oh sorry, I cannot speak about God's love for us and what he did for us when we did not deserve it before we even knew him without asking you that question. Do you know God? Do you know what Jesus did for you, did for all of us? Gave his life that you might know God's true love, died that you might live, died that whatever you have done in your life, the slate is wiped clean, died in your place. I ask you today, if that is you, what is God saying to you today? Is God speaking to you? If you want to know more, please get in touch like Michael was saying earlier. Reach out to us. Email. Drop us a comment. Put us something on the Facebook page. Kind of message us through Facebook. Reach out. Let's have a conversation. Do not leave this meeting without responding to what God is saying, without giving your life to him. And we're going to come back to that later. Right, my final point. More than conquerors. Every now and again as a parent, you hear about children's pe- uh, sorry, people's children being really close friends. So close, in fact, that they always want to be together. They are inseparable. The thing with kids, you kind of know as a parent, that that's probably followed about 20 minutes later with them losing complete interest in each other. Or one of them's nicked a toy and got punched for it, and now they're both in tears. Maybe that's just my house. We finish this chapter with these amazing, incredible words from verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus our Lord. You need to take that in. We've looked at God's love for us for the reason for our hope and confidence in our Lord. And now we see the great truth that nothing can separate us from God's great love. Amen. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword, nothing can separate us God's love is eternal. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God works for the good of those who love him. Whatever happens in our lives, whatever challenge we face, we are inseparable from God's love. Why? Because before we were born... God knew us. God chose us. God made us in his image. He called us for a purpose. Before we were born, he sent his son to die for us, to set us free from our sin. 
God raises up to be with him, elevated into our heavenly position with him. That truth is over all our lives. Before we face our challenges, Christ died for us before we were born. For God so loved the world, he sent his son for us. We are more than conquerors. We are children of God. We are more than conquerors. We are children of God. I want to ask you a couple of questions. What does knowing that mean to you? Go back, reread the start of the chapter in the truth of God's love for us. Do we set our mind on what nature desires or the desires of the spirit? Is the truth of God's love evident in our lives, how we live, the choices we make? Knowing that truth. Do we worry about our present sufferings or do we have our hope in the future God has for us? The glory that will be revealed. Do we live, do we live as slaves to fear or do we live with a spirit of sonship? Sons and daughters of God. Living by the spirit sets us free because of God's great love for us. So. To wrap it up, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Where does that confidence come from? He foreknew us, he predestined, predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. He called us, he justified us, he glorified us. God knew us, he chose us and gave us purpose. He created us in his image. He saved us through his son. He elevated us to be with him. God loved us so much he gave up his son. He made us children of him through his spirit. He gave us a spirit of freedom, not slavery. Nothing can separate us from God's great love because God loved us completely before we were born. He sent his son for us before we'd done anything wrong. Nothing then can separate us from God's love, but we need to accept that. We need to put aside our human nature and turn to him. If that's you this morning, can I urge you not to switch off before you have given your life to him? Don't ignore God's great love for you. In a minute, I'm going to say a prayer. If you've never given your life to him, I'd like you to say it with me. Don't stop there, though. Get in touch so we can connect. We can send you out some stuff. We can chat with you. If you said it before... It's not going to do you any harm to recommit your life to him now, is it? Eh? So, let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have done things wrong and I ask for your forgiveness. I thank you and believe that you died for me, for my sins and arose from the dead that I might live. Lord, I turn to you and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my amazing God. Thank you. Praise you, God. Amen. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for the truth that if you are for us, who can be against us? Thank you for the truth of your great love for us. A love that we cannot be separated from. Thank you, Father. For what you did for us in giving your son for us. Before we even knew. Father I pray 
that as we hear that truth again today, Father, I pray uh, that you will speak to us, that you will empower us. Father, I pray that we will take that truth into our life, that we will live led by a spirit and not led by the desires of nature. Father, I pray that you will bless us and strengthen us as we live, keeping our mind on the glory that is to be revealed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, there you go. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you've been moved by what you've heard today. We would love to hear from you at Champions Church. Please look us up on Facebook at Champions Church Skipton and drop us a message. I'll speak to you again soon.